0: It was the perfect recipe. You know, I was born into the business. I always wanted to be an operator. Just had a passion for equipment and, and really transportation. I, since I was a young kid, I had you a know, four-wheeler. I, I liked to be moving. It was the perfect storm to get my identity in. I mean, I had a family business. I had grown it. I expanded it. I had some success. The reason I had the identity in Dunningham Transport was because I didn't know what identity looked like outside of Dunningham Transport. One of the things in the oil and gas business is you, you get in, you make your money fast, and then you get out waiting for it to fall. So with that comes, you know, long days, long nights. And so when we go and on weekend trips or go to play, um, we we could play hard. You know, we went out and raised hell. In, in a rough world where a guy's displaced from his family
1: and his wife is back home and he's 90 days here and not there, um, the things that come to that, to those guys, yeah, can be tough.
2: And you're isolated by yourself. Just, I mean, you're out here trying to make money. i uh, made well into the six figures every year doing it. I could go do it again, but it would cost me more than I'm willing to lose.
1: So we met in Spanish class in high school. He sent a note across the room, check yes or no, would you like to go out on a date with me?
0: Candace and I end up getting married living in a trailer house at one of our saltwater disposals.
1: There was tank batteries basically in front of our house, but it was perfect. And you're with the person that you just want to spend your time with.
0: Always, since a very young age, like the business had priority. Like that was was the number one priority.
1: I don't remember ever getting in the car with him, with the four of us, that the, the phone didn't ring immediately. So we could leave from Abilene and go to the Metroplex for the weekend, and we would never talk to him. On you know, on our road trip, whenever he was at home and he was present, physically present, he was always checked out.
2: I met Bo for the first time during orientation. He came in and buzzed through for maybe five minutes, and then I didn't see Bo for about a year.
1: He was just busy, um, very busy with things that didn't didn't need to be busy
0: with. Um. Monday and Tuesday I was recovering from a long weekend of playing hard and then you know may have a peaceful day on Wednesday and then Thursday it would start over again. Still using the business as a priority that, hey, we got to take care of business is what provides. That allowed me to take customers wherever I needed to take them and do whatever I needed to do with them to entertain them. All along the while, it was eating at my soul. Through my drunkenness, there's a lot of my uh, careless lifestyles from pornography to affairs. This good, hardworking, providing country boy had turned into this really, looking back on it, this monster. I'd created so much crap in my life, I didn't know how to square up to it and deal with it. So my only choice at the time was to keep running. Things were just went crazy in my life. And to the point to where Candace and I got in one of the worst fights we'd ever had. After I passed out on the couch, she picked up my phone and all this double life, lies, Became exposed. When I woke up, I, I hadn't, I had no choice but to square up to it and own it. She knew the truth.
1: Bo left for a week or two, um, so I could really focus in on um, process everything that had, that I was told and the things that I had seen.
0: I can remember taking a Bible with me and went to a remote ranch and just peace for a week. I didn't get any phone service, no emails, and for some reason I had this Bible. Uh, And I had a moment while I was up there where the the Lord literally gave me a vision of continuing this life of, you know, just neon lights, a single man's life, or a dirt road, a dark dirt road, but it was peaceful. It was peaceful, and it was just like the Lord saying, "Just trust me." And, uh, and the minute that I acknowledged that, okay, Lord, you know th- this is you, this is you speaking to me, my phone rang, and it was Candice, and she said, I, "I don't care what what you've done, I'll forgive you. We'll work this out." Now, she also said, it doesn't mean turn around and come home. But and it just gave me light. It was it was just that light that I that the Lord sent to me. Like, you made it, you just made a decision in your heart, to follow me, and I'm acknowledging you right now that you're gonna have this. You're gonna be a husband, you're gonna be a father. Man, the process of getting all this hidden posing out in the open was, it was absolutely God saying I'm with you and I'm with you and I'm with her, I'm with y'all. All this stuff that had festered that I was able to absolutely come clean with my wife.
1: He was, I wouldn't say apologizing like every day, but it was just through his actions that he was changing.
0: I was able to establish my relationship with the Lord Then I was able to, you know, come to Candace and be who I was. And what's amazing is who I am was who Candace fell in love with when I was 15. That's what the Lord had restored. Initially, did not want to come back to Dunning and Transport. I viewed the business as just a lot of triggers, unhealthy relationships with both customers and employees. So we started
1: praying, like, "Is this really what we should do? Should we keep this?" And every time we would pray, the Lord would say, "Yes, you know, this is. This, I've called you where you're supposed to be."
0: Reestablishing relationships from the new heart of what my purpose was with this business. It took time, it was a, it, it's still taking time. I came to our managers and, and, and just told my story. You know, what, what, what drove me then and what drives me now, and, and a lot of apologies. I
2: first came here, it was, it was just like any other company that I've ever worked for in this industry. It's about the numbers and go get it and get it and
1: get it. It was all just people coming to work with no purpose. It's Bo re-entered the company after he kind of found a purpose for the business and and for his life. Uh,
0: It it changed everything pretty dramatically. Yeah, because now there's a purpose. You know, my my barometer for success is really the relationship and the leadership team and how it just reaches out into whether it's your first day in a truck for Dunnian Transport or, you know, a vendor. Uh, And it's really based on relationships. I just, I like being with the team.
1: You know, he just loves other people. Like, he now sees their heart. Him being open with stuff he was going through, it really gave us the authority to say, you know, hey, I was going through something too.
2: The only reason I came to work for Dunnigan Transport initially was because they offered insurance. And I was in the process of trying to get custody of my son. And I knew I had to have it to make it happen. Never in a million years would I have thought that I would have grown in my faith working for a, a company in the Woodfield. I mean, without the culture that's here, and Bo being obedient, that, that I, I wouldn't be the person I am today. That's why I'm very thankful for the environment Bo has has given us to work in.
1: He goes through a transformation and says, I, I, I see these people differently. The God has shifted my heart. I don't see dollars when I see people. I don't see numbers when I see trucks. I see assets, I see hearts, I see generosity, I see life.
3: Come on, Beltway Park, is that not incredible? Man. That is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that story can be told over and over again in various ways. With varying degrees of whatever might be, I'm just telling you, there's some people in here um, today, there's people online at our North Campus. I know we have a lot of folks that are out right now, a lot of things going on health-wise in our community. But there's people right now who need hope. And I want to tell you that whatever situation you might be in, Jesus has the power to overcome it. See, the gospel, the work of Jesus Christ restores us from our past. It redeems us from the things we have done in our lives. But, and I need you to really hear this, he does something else. Jesus also, through his gospel, calls us and gives purpose to our lives. Listen to me. You and I were designed from the beginning for significance. You and I were created to have purpose in life. It was robbed from us by sin. See, one of the issues I struggle with when it comes to the theory of evolution, we can talk about it from a scientific level and all that, but if you remove God, what it really says is that the goal of life is survival. The goal of life is to make it. To get as much out of life as I can for me, et cetera, et cetera. And that we know deep down is not reality. All of us know that there's something that longs in us to be significant. I've been with a lot of people at the end of their lives, people who are on their deathbed, and the most common thing I hear from people over and over again is, I hope my life mattered. I hope that my existence here did something good for somebody in life. There is this hunger inside of us because it was created by God for purpose and significance. It was robbed from us by sin, but it is restored to us by the cross and the empty grave. But like all things in the kingdom of God, listen to me, we have to possess what we've been given by Jesus Christ. You and I must take steps to possess by faith the purpose God has given us in Christ Jesus. And our society, by the very nature of what it has created, works against that purpose. A little history lesson for you. How many of you historically know what Black Tuesday is? Hands up. See, you can learn all sorts of great things at Beltway Park when you come here. How many of you have heard of the Great Depression? Hands up. There you go. We're getting closer. Black Tuesday, October 29th, 1929 was the day the stock market crashed. And it was the beginning of the Great Depression, a little over a decade time. You've seen the pictures, know some of the stories about that season. And the factor that most brought us out of the Great Depression as a nation was World War II. All of a sudden we needed soldiers to fight on both the Pacific front and the European front. We needed people to go into factories, men and women, who could make products necessary to support the war. And all of a sudden the economy soared during World War II. And then the incredible happened and the war ended and that was awesome and great, except for the economy. No longer did we have the government paying all these soldiers, no longer did we have these demand for products to be manufactured to support the war. So what was going to be done to keep the economy rolling? To keep things going after World War II, companies saw a, an inroad. And that inroad was with this thing, maybe you've heard of it called media. All of a sudden it had begun to increase. There was the advent of a thing called the television. Radio was being used more, newsprint was happening more and more. And what they said was we've got to do something to ensure that people never grow satisfied. That people think that life is about them and for them and if they really want to get the most out of life they can, they just need more and more in their life. This began what might be called the greatest propaganda movement in the history of humanity. It was the systematic creation of what we are today, the customer. And this systematic conditioning to make us the customer has continued and increased throughout the years. Like if you go back to 1970, all the media of 1970, so some of you are old enough like I am, you can remember three channels, right? You can remember you actually had to get a newspaper when it showed up at the door, things such as that. The average person in in the 1970s had about 500 commercial messages hit them a day. 500 messages a day. You go to the year 2000, the turn of the millennium, that number had increased to about 3,000 a day. You get to today, 2022, and the number is close to 10,000 commercial messages a day. If you're under the age of 35 and tend to be more engaged in media, that number soars to actually 20,000 messages a day. And every one of those messages at some level say the same thing. They say life is about me, life is for me, and I need to get the most out of life as I can by getting more in life. And let's be honest, a part of us likes it, don't we? See, we, we like the idea of being the customer because we've been told again and again and again, the customer is always right, and we like being right. We think that we're the customer and that we're always right. I mean, we think that phrase all the time. Like, probably many of you have called customer service, and you have spoken to, quote, Jim from India, right? And you're trying to communicate, and in your mind, you're getting frustrated with all these things that are going on, and you're thinking, well, the customer, Jim, is always Right, but come on, deep down, we know that's not true. I've worked in retail. People are not always right. People are often idiots. (laughs) I can look back at my own life, and I'd love to tell you it was like decades ago, but maybe months ago, I found myself treating somebody in customer service in a certain way because deep down I thought I'm the customer and I'm right, and because I'm right, I can treat you this way, and really all I was was a sinful idiot. That was the reality. But deep down, we like the idea, hey, we are always right and life is about me. And we can even approach faith that way. I've had people tell me, Pastor, I've tried that church thing. And I tried that God thing. And I kind of dive into what that means. And what I've discovered is when people say, I tried God and it didn't work, what they mean is I came to church, I came and attended service, and I wanted to get God's power, I wanted to get his wealth, I wanted to get his grace, everything I wanted, but I needed him to give that to me when I wanted him to give that to me because I am the customer. I'm right. Guess what? Won't work. You want to know why? Why? God has this notion that he is still God and you and I are not it is why the scriptures declares for by him all things were created things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities all things were created by him somebody say by him but notice this I really want you to get all things were created for him somebody shout for him You want to know your purpose in life? You start right here. You were created by God, for God, and everything we were designed to have is tied to that. Our greatest joy is tied to centering our lives on Jesus, not on myself, not about me, not about getting more, and allowing him to use our lives for his purpose. See, we are not customers of God. We are followers of Jesus. And many of us are finding our faith not doing for us what we long for because we're trying to live as customers. Jesus one time took his disciples to the northernmost part of Israel place called Caesarea Philippi. It was one of the most non-Jewish parts of Israel at the time. You can go there today, and you can still find archaeological ruins of all the Greek and Roman temples that were there. All these little g-god and goddesses that they would worship in this place. And it was at this place that represented all the philosophical, ideological, and theological truths that existed in the day. All these ideas around which you could center your life, It was at this place where Jesus took them to all the options available on how to live their life. And Jesus looked at them and asked the question, who do you say that I am? And Peter, who seemed to be that guy who wanted to always kiss up to the rabbi, right? Peter came out first and said, well, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, which was a statement saying, you, Jesus alone, are the one true God. You are the king of all kings. And Jesus said, and on this rock, not on Peter, but on the lives of those who will confess him as Messiah, as Christ, on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, let's be honest. When it comes to church, We can think like a customer, can't we? I mean, that's how we can approach this idea of church. We think, well, let's go to a church where the music is something I like. Let's go to the church where they have an awesome kids ministry. Let's go to a church where the pastor doesn't yell, which means you're at the wrong church. Now, I am in no way saying that that there's not a facet of that that has to be true. There has to be a connect between a local body and people. I understand that totally, but what if, just give me a chance here. What if church isn't ultimately supposed to be about me? What if I'm not supposed to be a customer at church? What if, it's just a radical thought, what if church is a tool God wants to use to help me fulfill my destiny in life and for me to help others do the same? You see, when Jesus promises that the gates of hell will not overcome the church, most of us interpret that promise to mean that what's going to happen is I'm going to get attacked again and again and again by Satan, but he's not going to be able to feed us. And what we do is we get a picture of kind of hunkering down and closing up and the enemy attacks us and Jesus covers us and he protects us. And what happens is we survive this onslaught by the enemy. It's a a picture of survival, and we can think that the church is this place, kind of like a tornado shelter. You go inside and you wait for the storm to pass, a place where we hunker down together to survive in this fallen world. Now, I don't want you to mishear me. Jesus is one who protects us in times of attack. The church is a safe place for us to live in the midst of this fallen world. However, the promise when Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church isn't about hunkering down, it's not about survival. In fact, that would be the exact opposite of what those first followers of Jesus would have heard. When Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, what Peter heard, what those disciples heard, was much different than us because they understood the idea of gates. I've been to Israel a lot of times, and in Israel they have archaeological reconstructions of many cities, and cities in that time normally had walls around them. It might be that you have seen a picture like this from the Mount of Olives overlooking the old city of Jerusalem. Because of the turmoil so much that's centered there, most of us have seen this. I really hope that someday in your life you'll make it a priority. You need to go put your feet in the land of Israel. There's a pilgrimage aspect that does more than you think it will do. I just promise you that. I'm not selling anything. I don't have a tour coming up. I'm not part of a tour company. Anything like that, I'm just telling you, it's worth your time and your energy. And what you see here is you see the old city walls around Jerusalem. Now, these aren't the walls that existed in Jesus' time. Those walls are about 20 feet below these walls, just the way ancient cities were built. These are relatively new by Israeli standards. These are about 600 years old, merely 600. Um, centuries old and such like that. And these were walls like cities of the time that would be built around the city as a mechanism of defense against the city. And the most vulnerable place among those walls would be the gates. Here's one right here. This one's called the Eastern Gate. It actually has a lot of prophetic significance. It's been filled in for various reasons. We'll have to talk about it at a different time. And because they had gates that would open, And gates that would shut at night, those would be the places that were most often attacked, and they'd be most vulnerable. In fact, we can see throughout the land of Israel in the archaeology how the design, the architecture of gates would evolve over time to try to make them better at providing defense while also allowing people to come in and out of those gates. Now get that picture in your mind. Listen again to the promise of Jesus. On this rock I will build my church. And hell will not overcome the gates of the church. Is that what it says? Now on this rock, on the confession of all who would follow me as Lord and Savior, on the people who will follow me, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. The only time you and I will face the gates of hell is when? It's when you're attacking hell. Walls are for defense and there's a wall around hell and gates and the only time you would come close to it is if you're on the offensive. Are you hearing me? The gates of hell don't attack the church. The church exists to attack the gates of hell together. And when you and I do that, the promise is the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Listen to me. This says something about who we are as a people. It says something about the purpose of church. Church is not an event we just go to, and it's an end in itself. It's why I'm imploring you in 2022, quit going to church. Just stop going to church and making an end in itself. I don't care if your attendance is normally at the South Campus, if it's on the North Campus, if you're on our online campus, you dance back between online and physical. It matters to not, stop just going to church. Church is not a place to attend. Church is not an event to go to. Church is a mission. It's a mission that we live. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, the scripture says. This is not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Not by work so no one can boast. Come on, how many of you are thankful for the grace of God in your life? Put your hands up right now. See, all of us, come on, we are grateful for that. But God didn't save you just so you could attend a religious event. How boring would it be if this was the extent of our faith? That we come to church And we live a decent life. See, God's got so much for our lives than that. God didn't save us just to give us this incredible gift so we could hunker down and survive. You have been saved by grace through faith. It is not something you did. It's a gift of God. But then he says, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works which God prepared in advance for you. So before you were even a twinkle in your mommy and daddy's eyes, before that romantic moment in their life, some of you thinking, don't make me think about that. I understand. Long before you were sovereignly chosen for this time and place on planet Earth, God has appointed the dates and time for humanity to live. You and I are not here by accident. You were created by him for this time on planet earth. You were created for him for this time on planet earth. And he created you with ideas of good works, things that you could do in your life, through your life that would make eternal differences in the life of other people. But then this thing called sin came and it robbed that purpose from us in life, but it is restored and it is empowered by Jesus Christ through the cross and through the resurrection. See, God made us born again so that we can make a difference in people's lives. That's the reason we exist. But we have this tendency, especially in America, where we're the customer. We have this idea to always make it come back to me and be about me and for me. And because we have this tendency to always go back to me, because it's what we've been trained under. It's what we've been systematically conditioned for. Have you ever watched a TV show for little kids and then see the commercials that are designed just for them? And then just watch commercials for different age groups. They all say the same thing. Life's about you. And life's for you. And for you to be happy, you got to have more. you got to have more of this or more of that. And it's ingrained into us now. 10,000 times a day. 10,000 messages a day. Lying to us about the reality of our lives. No, God made you and I to make a difference in people's lives. We have this tendency to return to me. And because of this tendency to make it about me, we have... The church. Let us consider how we may stir one another on to what? Love and good deeds. Let us, the church, the people of God, let us look at our lives and say, how can we help each other live out the purpose God placed us on planet earth in life? Let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. So even back then, people were trying to go solo in their faith. You cannot win and go solo in your faith. We need each other to encourage one another. And all the more, as the day of Jesus' return is coming in our lives. Come on. See, we meet together so that we can encourage each other to take steps of faith with Jesus and possess by faith the purpose God has for our lives. Did you hear that in Bo's story? You hear a man that was apart from God. God, in his grace, drew him back to himself, did a work in his life, made promises for his life. And the natural thing he wanted to do is get out of the business. Get out of the business. That's where all the triggers are. That's where all the issues are. All the things that created the monster that I had become seemed to be attached to the business. But as they prayed about that, I'll give you a little insider scoop. As they talked to people who were in the church about that, God would never release them from that. God looked at a man and said, Now I have made you different. And now I want you to do that which you do Differently. I want you to make your business about Jesus and for Jesus. If I may, he looked at Bo and said, we're going to attack the gates of hell in your business. And the reason that he has been able to do that, the way God stirred Bo to love and good works through his business was through the church. See, God used key people, I'm telling you, at key times in his life to encourage him that, Bo, God's placed something in you now god's done a work inside of you and he wants to use that in the lives of people that might never darken the doors of a church building but you can be an influence of light in their life there was people who looked at his life just like our lives and says you are the light of the world a city on a hill cannot be hidden people don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl no they put it on a stand so it gives light to the whole room in the same manner let your light, let the reality of what Jesus has done in you, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works. They may see the way you serve and live your life, and they will give praise to your Father in heaven. And as he has done that, because of the encouragement of people that were in his life, when he thought he couldn't do it, when he thought he couldn't make it, it has become a source of great joy for his life. If I may, he had everything that the commercials told him he had to have. He had the resources to buy whatever it is he wanted to buy. He had lots of toys and lots of ability to go use them. And he was miserable. And now he can walk in joy because of what God's done in his life because he's living by the design God has for his life. Listen to me. That's the church. The church is a people who together attack the gates of hell and do things that have eternal significance. Obviously, I'm not talking about violence. I'm talking about something more radical in violence. I'm talking about a radical kind of love that has to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about a radical kind of service that has to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have given your life to him and say, I am his, I am saved, not because of myself, not because of my works, not because I'm good enough, but because I have trusted Jesus with my life, then that means that God has created for you things you're to be a part of. I'll say it this way. Every person who's a follower of Jesus is a minister. Listen to me. You're in the ministry. Some of you are saying, well, I'm going to go do some weddings. You can't do weddings. That's a state of Texas thing, not a Bible thing, okay? But you're as just much a ministry as I am. Ministry is a word in the Bible that just means to serve. We are called to demonstrate the love of Jesus by serving and helping. And I can't tell you the details of what that's going to look like for your life between our South Campus, our North Campus, all the people online, there are thousands of unique stories and thousands of unique ways that God wants to use you, which means you have to get before God and say, God, how is it you want to use my life? But there are some things I know. Number one, I know this, you are where you are for a reason. There's no accident. That job that you're in right now, some of you saying, Pastor, I'm praying for God to get me out of that job. I'm great with that, but while you're at that job, He's got you there to be who you are, the light of the world, the neighborhood you're living in. I'm not saying you have to live in your neighborhood for the next 30 years, but for the time you're there, you're there for a reason. That ball team that your kid's a part of, by the way, I hate to burst your bubble. Your kid's probably not going to be a pro athlete. Okay, just say I've been there, done that. If you really think your kid's going to be a pro athlete, you need to look in the mirror. And you need to look at your spouse and go, what kind of genetics do we have? And then you just kind of go, hey, bud, you ain't got a chance. Sorry, man, but we're going to have a lot of fun. And you can make youth athletics a lot of fun, but there ain't a lot of pros coming out. I'm just saying, okay? But you know why you're on that ball team? There's people, all sorts of families. You can be there to bless. You can be there to help people who have no hope find hope that's found only in Jesus Christ. I know you are where you are to be who you are. I know that. Here's what else I know. I know this church called Beltway Park exists to attack the gates of hell. That is who we are. We are going to go after everything God has. We want to make it difficult to go to hell in the big country. And I'm telling you, that takes all of us. That takes you, that takes me. If you think we don't need you, that's a lie. Here's how the lie works. Hey, this church is big, They've got all these things going on all the time. They've got six services at two locations. They're doing that online thing, et cetera, et cetera. They've got it all handled. They've got enough people to do everything. It's a lie. More than ever, we need the body of Christ. We need each person doing what God has deposited in them to do so that we can fulfill the call that God has on our life. I don't know what that call is in your life. You're going to have to pray about it, think about it, and say this is where I am called to give and serve the gifts that God has given to. Maybe it's in the lives of some of the thousands of kids that come through the doors of our buildings each and every week. I am just telling you God has called us to make a deposit of who he is in their lives. I don't know if that's your call, but here's what I can tell you. I am thankful for the men and women who did that in my life. 40, over 42 years ago, a group of people came by on a church bus, and they picked up an unmedicated ADD kid, and that's no exaggeration. And the amazing thing is they showed back up the next week, because I think I would have skipped our street after it got my brother and me on the bus. But they kept showing up, they kept showing up, and they kept showing up. And 42 years ago this past Friday, January 14, 1980, I bowed my knee in my bedroom, and I said, Jesus, I will follow you with everything I have. Please help me do that. And it was because of those men and women who had eyes of faith who started sowing in me when I was in second and third grade. And maybe you're called to be those men and women. Maybe you're called to be those who will work with our very impressionable middle school and high school kids. I mean, I've heard people say, hey, this may be the most difficult season ever to be a middle school and high school kid. That's probably right. If so, more than ever, they need men of God and women of God who will stand with them and help them live out the destiny that God has for their life. Because I'm challenging that maybe the generation of young people we see today will be the ones who usher in the return of Jesus Christ. And they need things deposited inside of them by you and I. I don't know if that's you. Maybe it's you want to help serve our community. There are people all over our community who have homes that are falling apart. And we have teams of people called Boots on the Ground, and they go out and they work for free, showing the love of Jesus Christ just by working on people's homes every weekend. Hundreds of those men and women. We have people who work on automobiles because let's be honest, public transportation is difficult in Abilene, Texas. You need a car. Cars are expensive, and we've got men and women who work on automobiles just to show the love of Jesus through our garage ministry. We know this. We know God has called us to stand for the life of the unborn and for the men and women who have been deceived by the lie of abortion. But it's not just at that level. There are young men and young women, boys and girls, that because of traumatic situations in their family, they are pulled out of their home and placed into the foster system. What would it be like? What would it be like if there were a spirit-filled, spirit-empowered home just waiting for every kid? Right where they live. They don't have to change their school. They don't have to change their ball team. They can still be around their aunts and their uncles and their cousins. And there would just be a family who has the deposit of Jesus, side, Jesus Christ inside of their lives who was said, we will be your temporary family, and we will help you. And maybe we can even help your extended family, the ones where the trauma occurred, and we can see hope and healing in the name of Jesus. We can see families all reunited. And then we have people who surround those families, because being a foster family is hard. Take takes something supernatural, and so we'll just make a village around every one of them. And we together will stand for life for every kid. Why should a kid from Abilene have to be shipped to McAllen to have a foster home when there's so many of us right here who know the love of Jesus Christ? Can we dare dream that? Can we dare dream that there would be a thousand foster homes raised up in the 325 area code in the next five years and resolve that? I mean, I'm just telling you, that's what we're talking about. That's how you attack the gates of hell. That's how we bring justice to the world. Guys, there are literally hundreds of ways. You can be a part of what God is doing through Beltway Park and all the um, partner ministries we have around our community. I don't know where it is you're called to serve. Here's what I do know you're called. I'm called. You're called. And what we're called to is love and good deeds. And the reason we have each other is because we need to encourage each other. Because here's what's happening in your mind right now I'm not qualified. I don't know enough Bible. I don't have enough experience. And you can have the litany of excuses. It's amazing how fast they come up. They came to a guy named Moses. They came to everybody in the Bible. And then here's what we do for each other. When you say I'm not qualified enough, I'll go, yeah, you're not. I don't have enough experience. Probably not. I don't know enough of Bible. Doubt it. But here's what I do know. I know a truth that is greater than your weakness. I know of a strength that is greater than all the frailties of your life. I know of reality because if you are a follower of Jesus, Christ has put himself inside of you and Christ in you is the hope of glory and Christ loves to show himself strong through those that are weak. And so you may not be qualified. You may not have enough experience, you may not know enough scripture, but Christ is still going to show himself strong if we are just willing to take a step of faith and possess by faith the significance and calling God has for our lives. Do you think Bo felt qualified when he went back to his business and talked to his leaders and said, here's what's happened in my life? and we're going to be this kind of company going forward. Do you think he had a five-year plan with detailed strategies and all that of how they were going to do that? Or did he just take a step of faith and trust that God was going to show him along the way? Why don't we commit in 2022, listen to me, stop going to church, and let's be the church. Let's together ravage the gates of hell in the big country in this next year. Amen? Let's bow our heads for a moment, okay? Come on. Man, while you're praying and thinking right now, we're not going to be here long, so you better be ready to do business with God. I want to tell you next week we're going to start a new sermon series called Hard Questions. For seven weeks we're going to talk about seven of the hardest questions that Christians face. Listen, I've never done a sermon series like it. You have to come in with your thinking cap on. It's going to be good. Bring, bring your friends, bring your doubters, bring your skeptics. I think it'll be good for all of us. We're going to go deep. But today there's, there's some of you who are, um, you're in your place of service, you know it, you're using it. And my word for you is this uh, I believe there will be a fresh anointing for your life. It says in Galatians, do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And so I pray for those of you that are serving, that you're giving, that you would have a new anointing that will bring not just a spirit of perseverance but a spirit of joy. And that you would have vision for what God wants to do in the days to come. And that you'll just have a fresh perspective on what God has called you to do. And then if, if you're not in a place of service, if If I may, if church for you at this season of life has been, I come to an event on Sunday and it's good, that's great, but maybe it's time to take another step. It's it's okay not to be where you should be, but you know what we say around here? It's okay not to be okay at Beltway Park. It's just not okay to stay not okay. And there's a calling God has on your life. And I want to implore you just to ask a question right now. And I want to implore you to ask a question this week. God, where do you want to use me? God, how do you want to use me? And then just ask him for the courage to whatever he shows you to go do it. You're going to have to make the pursuit. You go to the ministry in this church. You go to the ministry in this community and say, I'm here to serve. Show me how. I don't know how to help kids, but I want to help kids. I don't know how to influence Middle school and high school kids, I, I don't know that I know how to build a house or anything like that, but I can serve, I can help. And you go find those ministries won't we'll help you, but you're gonna to to take that step. Just tell God right now, I want to stop going to church in 2022, and I want to be the church. So Father, I pray over the men and women who are serving right now, give them a fresh anointing and a fresh grace for all that you want to do, all the ways that you want to work in Jesus' name and do a fresh thing in the lives of people. In Jesus' name, amen.